John 1, 6-13. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Lord, we ask that you would this evening receive our worship and that it would be, as it were, a sweet-smelling sacrifice to you. We come and we humbly bow before you in spirit, knowing that you are our great God, our great Savior, our great Lord, the creator of all things who has seen fit in your great plan and purpose to condescend and Come down to your own creation. Become a part of that creation in order that you might save a people for yourself to give you all glory and honor and praise. And we sit tonight as recipients of that grace. And we ask humbly that you would minister to our hearts this evening as we look and we study and we think about your son Jesus, more and more, Lord. As we hear about John the Baptist and think about all of the work that you did in redeeming us. Thank you, Lord, and in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Ah. Well, as we move on, we've kind of finished a part of the introduction, what we might call the prologue. And he then moves into this short, little, brief, just kind of pow about John the Baptist. He's going to go much more in length about John. Um, Maybe we'll get to it next week. Probably not. But Lord willing, we'll get to it in two weeks. Um, So I'm not going to spend a tremendous amount of time on John the Baptist here tonight, even though we get the introduction in John's Gospel to John the Baptist. Um, more in, we'll come in verses 19 through 34, and we'll go back and we'll look at some of the things. But needless to say, there are a few things that we should talk about, about John the Baptist um, here as we start. First of all, he was sent from God. He was sent from God. Now, Up to this point in the history of Israel, God had ceased speaking through prophets. 
He had ceased speaking through the written word, and for more than 400 years, it's a long time, it's a lot longer than America's even been a nation, but for 400 plus years, God didn't say a word, at least authoritatively, that would be written in Scripture. I'm sure he, people would pray, and we see a few people who were there at Jesus' birth, Simeon and Ananias, and, or Anna, pardon me, and we talked about them during our Advent services, who the Lord had revealed certain things to. But as far as Scripture was concerned, there was nothing new coming. And so there was this massive anticipation, because for hundreds of years before that, he had spoken through prophets. And then before that, through kings and then through judges, I mean, we can go all the way back and see God speaking and speaking and speaking. And so for all of the sudden, somebody to come on the scene, it captured everybody's attention. And again, we'll look more at that in a couple of weeks. But first of all, I do want to look at Luke chapter 1, which does talk some about John the Baptist's birth. We won't look at this when we get to it next time, but for now... Luke chapter 1, in the days of Herod, verse 5, the king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. He had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So he was a priest, he was from the tribe of Aaron, and his wife was also um, one of the daughters of Aaron, pardon me, from the tribe of Levi, and his wife was even in the lineage of Aaron himself. They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. This is a great privilege and honor for him to be given this lot, but it was timely, it was we might call predestined by God, so that he would enter into the temple and see what he's about to see. The whole multitude of people were outside praying at the hour of the incense. And then there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. The angel of the Lord said, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. He must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just and to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So, John the Baptist is given 
or pardon me, Zechariah is given this glorious prophetic word from the angel about his son John who's going to be born. And this son John is going to go forth and be a mighty man of the Lord in the midst of the nation, going to bring people back to himself, going to bring people, pardon me, back to the Lord. Their hearts are going to be re-enlivened that the Lord is doing this work all of the sudden again. And John the Baptist is sent from God. It's, it's an interesting distinction that <clears throat> one who is sent by God points people to God and not to themselves. You know, it's, it's one way where you can see kind of the... Um, scoundrelish nature of certain preachers and teachers who proclaim to be sent from the Lord, but rather than pointing people to the Lord, they so oftentimes point people to themselves, even while invoking the name of the Lord, even while invoking the name of Jesus, but yet still the whole while they themselves are actually the ones who are the focus of attention. Now, why was John sent like this? He was sent clearly to prepare the way of the Lord, to turn people back to him. But back in John, look what it says here. It says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light. So God sent John, and from John the Apostle's perspective, at this particular point, there is an point important aspect to John's ministry that John is keying his readers in on. Remember I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago that I was kind of suspicious about the idea of John <clears throat> writing just to the Greeks and trying to use Greek philosophy and that kind of thing. Well, this is one of the things that, there's lots and lots of them, but one of the things that keys me into that is that the Jews understood from the book of Deuteronomy. In fact, if you want to turn there, it's Deuteronomy chapter 19. Deuteronomy 19. As you're turning there, they knew from the law that there was a requirement for a thing, a matter to be established as true. And that matter required certain witnesses. And so, verse 15, a single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. That goes on from there to continue to talk about the witnesses, but there we see the principle established that there's a requirement for, pardon me, certain witnesses to be in effect in order for a matter to be established as the truth. Now, we're going to see a little bit later on that John is going to say, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. But at the time of Jesus' baptism, John already knew who Jesus was. And I think John already understood that he was the Messiah. But remember, there at the waters of baptism, God himself opens the sky and he declares 
forth, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, as a dove descends upon Christ as the symbol of the Holy Spirit. So you have John's witness combined with the Trinitarian witness of God, and then also later on, Jesus is going to testify in John chapter 5 that his works bear witness of him. So you see there you have in three personages the truth established or three elements that the truth is established. John the Baptist, Trinitarian declaration that Jesus is the Messiah, and Jesus' own works. All three of these things. So in the mouth of not only two, but three evidences, three lines of evidence, Jesus' Messiahship is established. And again, this would be a specifically Jewish understanding of who Jesus was. Now, what was he doing? What was Jesus doing? Here it says that he was to bear witness that he is a light. Now, this light, this in order to establish this testimony, is going to be two things. The truth of Jesus Christ fulfilling the law, being the fulfillment of the law, and to leave every man without an excuse. And we'll get to that so much more as we go through the Gospel of John. But those are two important things that we're going to find ourselves keep coming back to. Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and that he leaves every person without an excuse. In fact, here it says, it goes on to say, to bear witness that he is the light, that all might believe through him. That all might believe through him. That's the human goal, isn't it? If we are going to right now just put a pause on church and go out and do some street witnessing here in Chico, our goal would be that every single person we talk to would come to a knowledge of the truth, would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Some people, you know, we're going to get to the new birth here at the very end in verse 13 when it says that it's not by anybody's own will, but it's by the will of God that a person is born again or receives new birth. But we don't, aren't, we don't know and aren't in charge of that aspect of salvation. What we are in control of is the message that's proclaimed. And as the message is proclaimed, I really believe and genuinely expect that there will be a response. Now, there will be. You can't hear the gospel and not respond. It might not be positively. You might become more hardened to it. But one way or another, there will be a response to the gospel. That's assured. But... We do desire all people to believe. When I'm sitting and just sharing with someone, I have somebody who I was talking with earlier this week, and he's not a believer, and these truths kind of came up in our conversation. And I preached to him the gospel, and I genuinely wanted him there in that moment to believe. Now, I, have, I do the work of an evangelist. I'm not having the gift of evangelism, I don't think, because I've led very many, very few people to the Lord, pardon me. I've done lots of other good things and sowing seeds, I think, and, and other person gets the harvest, right? You know that passage from Corinthians. Um, but 
I say what I'm going to say because I genuinely want somebody to believe. That's the proper human response. It's why we don't scoff at evangelism. It's why we're not some kind of hyper-Calvinistic where, well, they're elect, they're going to get saved. It's just a matter of the Lord getting to them. No, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so we must be those who proclaim and declare the word of God in order for people to come to faith in the God of that word, right? So John comes and he sent to bear witness about this particular light. He is not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Again, let me back up a little bit. It's so easy to focus on the messenger rather than the message. And one of the things we find about John, and we'll find out in a couple of weeks, is that the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the religious leaders really honed in on John because he was doing and saying things that nobody else was doing and saying. And they were asking questions. Are you the Messiah? No. Are you the prophet that Moses spoke about? No. Well, are you Elijah? Well, kind of, sort of he is. We saw from Luke chapter one, but he's not the reincarnation of Elijah or something like that. So who are you? And he says, he's one come to prepare the way of the Lord, to make straight the paths. And he was quoting from Isaiah there when he talks about his particular ministry. And so people are oftentimes focusing on him and oftentimes focusing on the messenger rather than the message. But remember, John himself says, and we're going to get to it in John 3, that he says, he, John the Baptist, must decrease and Christ must increase. That he knew part of his ministry was done. And then he, was, he didn't know he was going to die. Remember, he got locked up in jail and he thought, well, Jesus, are you really the one? Are you not? And of course, Jesus gave him that grand confirmation word that he was, in fact, the Messiah. And that's the end we hear of John, and apart from his beheading. But one of the great things about John the Baptist that we find is that even though there might have been an um, unceremonial death in the life of John the Baptist, that his life is one we still look back on with great admiration and are grateful that the Lord had done such a work through John the Baptist. So that's enough on him here tonight. We'll move on to verse 9 through um, 13, and we'll pick John's message back up in a couple of weeks. But verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world didn't know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were not born of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Jesus here is the true light which gives light to everyone. Jesus is the true light. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, he says, Of his own people, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. 
Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light so shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The reason that this can be said to God's people is because he is the one who has enlightened us because we have seen his light. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says that if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the ones who are perishing, the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is the light, and he is the one who provides the light to us that we shine forth as well. But he is the light of the whole world here. He is the, and the reason he's the light is because he is the image of God. What we're talking about when we're talking about the light and it overcoming the darkness is we're talking about the revelation of God himself. And so we looked at Hebrews, I think it was last week, that we saw that Jesus is the exact representation of God, the exact imprint of God, if you will. That Jesus Christ is the one when he comes, he perfectly and rightly and accurately displays God for us. We saw that Jesus told his disciples that if you've seen me, You have seen the Father. And so when we're talking about this light that Jesus is, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. We're talking about his own revelation of God the Father himself. Now, it enlightens everyone. It enlightens everyone. Now, what does that mean that it enlightens everyone? Well, Jesus has changed everything. Once Jesus came, the history of the world has been changed ever since. Now, as light increases and as light is shown, sometimes we find Jesus is going to talk about this in John chapter 3, that people love the darkness rather than the light. And so even though the light has been shown on them, they still flee back into the darkness. Others don't. But that doesn't take away from the fact that Jesus, in fact, is the enlightening effect of God in the world for all men. There's no greater light that can be given to men than the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the greatest place that we can take people. We can bring people to the law, certainly, and rightly so, But I think if we bring people to the law and we don't then take them to Jesus Christ, we're not giving them the light. We're not exposing them to the light. We might be saying you're in darkness, but we're not giving them the light that's necessary in order to show and demonstrate the darkness is actually there. Right? 
So while the law does a work in revealing our own sin, it doesn't bring light unless Christ is also brought with the law. That's a failure of a lot of gospel preaching, where it's about duty and moralism rather than enlightening with the person of Jesus Christ. That's where the deficiency comes. But Jesus Christ is the true light who was coming into the world. He came into the world. The world before this had little tiny glimpses of light. It was as it were a shadow. I love our Baptist confession of faith where it says that in old times, meaning the Old Testament, we saw Christ through type and shadow. So what is a shadow? It's a darkness that exists because there is a light shining on an object. And the light shining on the object was Jesus Christ, which is why we can go back now into the Old Testament thanks to apostolic revelation and the Holy Spirit indwelling our hearts and illuminating our minds and see Jesus everywhere. We can go back and find Jesus on every page, as it were, and see as we read the book of Malachi, or we read Isaiah, or we read Jeremiah, or we read some obscure proverb, or the book of Job, or wherever it is, we're going to find these types, these shadows, that now that we have the light of Jesus Christ, all of a sudden their glory is there, and it's not a shadow anymore, but a brilliant picture of Jesus Christ revealing God to us. Ah, I love it. I love that this is what the Lord does for us. In verse 10, He was the light of the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Jesus was both in the world and he made the world. This is one of those things that is confusing for many other religions out there. How can God have created the world and yet then enter into that creation? That's an logical impossibility in the minds of many people who we might find ourselves encountering and talking with. Muslim, for example, is one such person. But what we want to point out is the fact that because God created the world, it therefore does not mean that he is now limited because of the creation he made. If he made it, he's perfectly capable of entering into that creation and interacting with that creation. In fact, it makes perfect sense that he would do that kind of thing. Now, the way he did it is absolutely remarkable. He would actually take on the form of one of his creatures and become a human being, perfectly man and still perfectly God all at the same time. But as we move on here, it says that, I, let me back up a second. I want you to notice something here. Yeah, I wasn't going to mention this, but I do. When we go through the Gospel of John, I want you to notice all of the different ways that he uses the word world. That we're going to find there's at least six different ways that he defines the word world. And here in this verse, we find two. He was in the world, right? That's the physical ball of the earth. And the world, the physical ball, was made through him. 
and yet the world didn't know him. Same word, but all of a sudden, it's not the physical ball of the earth, is it? He's completely changed subjects and talking about something else. But yet he's using the very same word to describe this other thing, this other entity. And he's going to use the word world in this kind of fashion all the way throughout the Gospels. So when you come to certain, John is notorious for doing this. So as you read John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, the book of Revelation, that's something you want to keep in mind. And as you do a very careful reading, you'll find he uses the word in different ways. For example, do we have time for this? Uh, yeah, I'm going to do it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. In what sense is he using the word world there? Does he mean the sphere? No. God so loved the world. Well, what world is it? What is he talking about there? Is he talking about the whole, the, the whole world system? He does talk about it that way and sometimes, and it's always in an attitude of condemning the world system. So in what way is he showing the world, or I'm going to show my cards, demonstrating love to the world? Well, he's demonstrating his love to all people so that, again, remember, they are without excuse. I told you we're going to come back to this all the way through the book of John. That they are without excuse. God so loved the world or demonstrated his love to the world, all peoples, that he sent his only begotten son, whoever the believing ones are, whosoever should believe in him, will not perish but have everlasting life. So anyways, there's a way that you can look at the word world and make sure that you're understanding it rightly. We'll find this all the way through the book of John. Verse 11. Oh, pardon me. He came to his own own in the, ah, pardon me. Yet the world did not know him. So what does it mean that the world did not know him? Well, it's the sin of unbelief, and we can find that just from the verse 12. But to all who did receive him, right? The world didn't know him. The world didn't receive him. Verse 11 says his own people didn't receive him. And what does it say? Who believed in his name. So receiving him, John defines his belief in his name. So if the world doesn't know him and his own don't receive him, verse 11, it means that they are living in the sin of unbelief. Now, it's the sin of ingratitude. It's the sin of unthankfulness. It's the sin that begins that big, long, lengthy chain of problems that come about because of sin in Romans chapter 1. They were not thankful in their hearts. They were not grateful to God. And so because of their ingratitude, because of their unbelief, because of their vote of no confidence in God, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and chose to worship creatures rather than the Creator. So they made idols for themselves and they suppressed the truth and unrighteousness and then they snowballed down in all of that sin that you find throughout the rest of chapter one there. And it begins with this sin of unbelief and this sin of ingratitude, this sin of unthankfulness. In my mind, there are various different aspects of one singular sin and it's this sin pardon me, of unbelief. 
So he came to his own people, and in, in, in this, this in verse 11 is Israel. And I think that one of the beauties of the Gospel of John, again, is that he confronts the Jews right where they're at. He, he takes, as it were, a mirror and he shows the Jews exactly what they should have seen in Jesus Christ. Because he says he came to his own and yet his own didn't receive him. Now, throughout the Gospel of John, <clears throat> this is true in a unique way. I mean, in chapter 5, Jesus says he is the Sabbath. In chapter 6, he says he is the manna. In chapter 7, he says he is the true water that comes out of the rock. In chapter 10, he says he is the good shepherd. In chapter 15, he says he is the vine. All of these are very emblematic of Old Testament Judaism. And they would have understood what Jesus was saying perfectly well. In fact, in two of these occasions, they tried to kill him. Because they knew what he was claiming to do and who he was claiming to be. He was claiming to be God Almighty. In Isaiah chapter 1, in the very, very first verses there in the book of Isaiah, we see this condemnation by God. He says, Hear, O heavens, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. The children I have reared and bought up, brought up, they have rebelled against me. The ox, it knows its owner. The donkey, it knows its master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, a sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity, an offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel, they are utterly estranged. That's a rough way to begin a book. But that's what Isaiah does, and sadly, that's what John is doing too, isn't he? He came into the world that he created himself. And when he came into the world, the world didn't know him. And even his own people didn't receive him. They didn't believe in him. They were ungrateful. They were unthankful for all of the blessings, all of the promises, the covenants for goodness sake that God had made with them all throughout history were rejected and abandoned in the person of Jesus Christ. But there is hope. Verse 12. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Um. They came to his own people, and oh, pardon me, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name. At this point, it behooves us to point out that belief is a gift from God. I, I, I don't think that I, if there's really a question about it. I know there is in some people's minds. Some people will quote that passage there in uh, Romans chapter 12 and says it says every person has been given a measure of faith right have you heard 
that passage there before. But if you notice, that particular passage is referring to the use of your gifts within the context of the church. So it's actually a text that is talking about you exhibiting and using by faith the gifts God has given you. It's not specifically talking about your faith in Christ. So all people in the church have certainly been given a measure of faith to exhibit their gifts, but not all people have faith. In fact, it says in Philippians chapter 1, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. We see that it's been granted by God for us to suffer for his sake. The end of Second Thessalonians, he tells us, pray for us, pray for us that we, <clears throat> pardon me, finally brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and be honored as happened among you, that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men for not all have faith. Evil and wicked men do not have faith. Philippians chapter 1 says that it's been granted to you to believe. Ephesians chapter 2 says that faith in all of salvation is a gift from God, not by works lest anyone should boast. So when we come to this particular section here in the Gospel of John, and we see John telling us that all who did receive him, who believed in his name... We don't want to read this the wrong way and go, well, it's your belief that therefore causes you to be born again. Now, he does say here that he gave the right to become children of God, who these people who believed were born of God. So you follow in the argument here. He says, all who receive him, then everything else is explanatory in between there. They, were, they received him because they were born of God. Not of the will of themselves, not of the will of man, not of blood, anything like that. So let me walk through it. But all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So they believe and they're given therefore the right. It's like justification comes by faith. But those people who believe were born that way because God had desired them to be born that way. Believers become children of God because God gives them this ability. It is by grace alone. Nobody earns it. You can't do it on your own. You don't work for it. It is simply by grace alone. But the new birth, listen, as we finish up, the new birth is not by three things, not by blood, He's talking to Jews there, right? He's reminding them that it is not by your heritage. Just because you are of the tribe of Asher or Dan or Naphtali or Levi, or that didn't matter up at this point. No longer was Israel this sole object of God's covenantal affection. The whole point of God's covenantal affection upon them was that they would go out from there and spread that news and that you know, expectation of the Messiah to come, and they didn't do that. 
It's one of the reasons why they rejected Christ when he came. But it is not by blood, it is not Israel, nor the will of the flesh. It is not the will of the flesh. You can't not only muster that up, but I will go, I think, even further, and you can't somehow, because you're Christians and you're Christian parents and you have Christian kids, all of a sudden they come out Christian. Following me? It's not the way it works. It is not by the will of flesh, nor, he goes on to say, nor the will of man. You can't choose this. So there's, he's categorically is saying you can't be born into it by blood, Israel. You can't be born into it by flesh. And you can't be born into it by your own human decision. You can only be born into this by God himself. Now, there are lots of passages I'd like to go to, but we will close with just this one in James. The book of James. The book of James in chapter 1. I'm sure you all know where I'm going, but... In verse 16, he says, Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, and it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. But of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creature. The father of lights is the one who determines who would be brought forth by the word of his truth. We're brought forth because of his great grace and because of his great love. There is no place for boasting. We are his workmanship. We are his first fruits. There is no variation or shadow of change with God, which gives me great confidence that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it. I can be confident and you can be confident of your salvation today because it didn't originate with you. It originated with God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the light who has come into the world has revealed the truth of God to us, left all of us without excuse. And some of us who are without excuse, God has seen fit to cause us to be born again by his own will, for his own glory, for his own righteousness, for his great namesake. Hallelujah. We sit as recipients of the great and eternal glories of the triune Godhead. We are absolutely enthralled, we should be, with his great and glorious work in our lives. The reason we sing the songs we do, the reason we pray the prayers we do, is all because of our gratitude and our worship of Jesus Christ. You see, we don't live in ingratitude and unthankfulness or unbelief. We live lives of perpetual faith and gratitude and confidence and thankfulness and trust to our Lord. Amen. Father God, you have 
richly, richly blessed us with this mighty salvation that you've given to us through your son, Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that as we um, continue in song and to partake in communion, Lord, that you would take these next few moments and just bring that joy of our salvation to our hearts. And may we respond the rest of this service with gratitude and pleasure and thankfulness for your great work in us. Not a thing that we deserve at all, but a thing you have graciously saw fit to bestow on us. Thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.